0: But you also had people that were very fine people. Very fine people on both sides. And the, and the aliens with mind meld and give them the technology. They're bad aliens. So the uh, a- are you surprised the Nazis were influenced by demons? No, if demons are real, I would definitely think they'd be on the side of the Nazis. Yeah.
1: McDonald's is connected to the Clintons. They chop up the bodies and put them into the sausage and hamburgers. People are being... And
2: I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful, you know? It's uh, Pepe's
0: become kind of a symbol.
2: Welcome to Yeah, Na, Pessaran, a show about fascism and its gravediggers. I'm Cam Smith. I'm Andy Fleming. And this week we are joined by a returning guest, Kelly Wheel, who is a journalist with The Daily Beast, as well as the author of... Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. Thanks for joining us, Kelly.
1: Thanks so much for having me. I guess,
2: oh, I hate to start this way, but just the elephant in the room. Uh, you released your book on the 22nd of the 2nd, 2022. 22, of course, being the second most powerful Masonic power number. And in simple gematria, Off the Edge is equivalent to 81, <laughs> which is also the number of Gorbachev, Angel War, and The Juice. I mean, could you be any more transparent about your real agenda?
1: You know, I was hoping they would, like, hold it for another 11 years so I could get that 33333 33 and really just nail the Masonic connections, but uh, they said it had to go this decade.
2: Ah, that's <laughs> annoying. This book is really, really good. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, well, well done. Uh, and what I really liked about it was uh, the way you take this deep dive into, into the archives to reveal this sort of much less ancient than commonly thought origin of flat-earth theory. A lot of the journalism that you do is very much – online, whether it's, you know, taking place on the web or it's about people who are terminally online. How was it to make that transition to, you know, getting into the archives?
1: You know, it's funny, you talk about terminally online, and I think there's a degree to which that describes me because I was in the archives, right? I'm reading these newspapers from a utopian commune in the UK in the 1830s. And all I could really think about was how much of these arcane lefty feuds are really just old school Twitter beefs, you know, people are taking out uh, classified ads in their local newspaper to rag on each other for not being industrious enough. They had a, you know, one guy was refusing to get up and do communal labor before breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, that that scans. I I know these people on Twitter.
2: It it really was like trolls, flame wars. There was Mary Sue fanfic even. (laughs) Like these people hundreds of years ago had learned the rule. You need to hide Australian threads and ignore Australian posters. Could you tell us a bit about this commune and how it sort of informs conspiracy theory today?
1: Absolutely. So, kind of to walk you back here, Flat Earth, you know, people tend to think that it's something we've believed for thousands and thousands of years. And it's not actually the case. You know, we've known for 2,000 plus years that we live on a globe. But uh, we can trace modern Flat Earth's origins to this. Commune in the UK in the 1800s. It was kind of a uh, pre-Marx socialist movement called the Owenite movement. People thought that if they lived and worked communally, they could uh, have a gentler form of work. And it didn't really work out because it was terribly uh, managed, and you know there there really wasn't much of a like a a central philosophy to it. So you you get these communes like the one I describe in my book, which were um, you know just kind of soft-handed idealists who were drinking the day away and not really farming. And the only real lasting legacy of this one commune, which is called uh, Manny Fen in the UK, was that one of its leaders spent his time there doing measurements on this long straight canal and concluding that when he was wading into the canal, earth looked flat to him. I mean, he was obviously doing his measurements wrong or just straight up lying, but he started making uh, a book and a lecture series actually based on his findings, and that turned into what we can recognize as flat earth theory today.
2: Has the science around proving the earth is flat improved much since uh, this guy was wading around in a canal? <laughs>
1: You know, if anything, it's got worse because there are fewer excuses these days for why you might support flat earth theory. You know, back then you could kind of fudge the math and it was hard to argue with, but these days you need to have a comprehensive theory of why all photographs from the International Space Station are fake as well.
0: One thing that strikes me about that account, Kelly, is that it, it, well, there have been, uh, as you document, uh, various contemporary people who believe in the flat Earth have returned to the canal and attempted to reproduce uh, the results. But in any case, it doesn't seem to matter too much if the experiments fail or there's an abundance of evidence to the contrary. That can often result in people doubling down in their commitment to these beliefs. How do you explain that phenomena?
1: It's very interesting and it's frustrating to navigate too. And I think what I would say here is that conspiracy theories aren't just powerful to people because they are the most logical explanation. I mean, flat earth is not a logical theory. They're powerful because people want to believe. And so with flat earthers, they're not taking into account the full spectrum of scientific evidence. They are counting only the things that support their theory. And when you have that kind of motivated reasoning, if Part of your evidence turns out to get debunked. Well, you just drop that stuff and replace it with something new. So it's not a you know a proper scientific method, as it is sort of sampling the buffet of things that appear to support your argument.
2: After this, uh, the theory is developed in this commune. It eventually makes its way to the United States. Could you tell us about this this flat Earth town?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I, I, I need to caveat here that my book is not all about flat Earth cults. It just tends to happen a few times. Um, so early 1900s, there was this town in the US called Zion in Illinois, and it actually still exists. It's very normal now. But it was founded as a fundamentalist religious community. Actually, hey, it uh, it got a lot of its... Its founder was actually uh, spent his early days in Australia before Australia effectively ran him out. Um, so you, know, you have some culpability here, folks. You're um welcome. <laughs> but so this this pastor, he moved to the U.S. He started a fundamentalist religious town where he could really control the laws of the place and the, how the schools ran, how the parks were administrated. And he was very soon deposed by an even more fundamentalist pastor who went fully flat. And he used this power vested in him to put flat earth in the schools and ban hymns that referred to the globe earth. And he ruled with an iron fist. He literally called himself a theocrat. He did this for decades and pretty much anyone who wanted to stay in his good graces was a flat earther too.
0: These figures from the late 19th, early 20th century were often Christian and biblical literalists. Can you um, explain the connection between this biblical literalism and um, a belief in flat earth?
1: I think it's important to note that a lot of the uh, early flat earth theory that started emerging in the UK in the 1800s happened during a parallel rise of the natural sciences, you know, increased focus on theories like evolution and, I would say, decreased significance for the role of religion in people's lives. And that, of course, has not always been well-received by religious fundamentalists. And in a way, Flat Earth almost acted as a reaction. It let people who were very religiously inclined say, well, science can't be right because uh, it's not supporting my biblical views. And Flat Earth really let people cast out science altogether and return to what they said was a biblical model of the world. And what that meant was cherry picking really religious texts. And anytime they encountered like a reference to a circle, they would, you know, call it a proof in the Bible that Earth is flat, which it's a very selective reading. But what's funny is that it endures to this day. A lot of modern flat earthers are still biblical literalists and still have this very warped reading um, where they will, you know, look for anything that sounds remotely flat, uh, references to circles, references to the firmament, which they believe is the dome that covers flat earth. And they'll say that it's proof that flat earth is God's word.
2: So in the modern day, what accounts for this resurgence in flat earth belief?
1: You know, to be kind of reductive, it's the internet. I mean, There's always been some uh, Flat Earth energy, you know, small social movements here and there throughout the 20th century. But where Flat Earth really re-emerged was around 2014. And that's when people on YouTube started realizing that Flat Earth videos did crazy traffic. And we can blame YouTube's algorithm pretty squarely for this because you know, that algorithm that recommends videos to you, it's going to recommend very sensationalist things, things that get you clicking on weird links at two in the morning. And Flat Earth is really just the the goldmine for that. So people would be watching completely unrelated videos, things about outer space or religion or other conspiracy theories, and start getting Flat Earth videos recommended into their feeds and it turned into, you know, people finding this theory who wouldn't have otherwise discovered it, but also people very cynically making flat earth videos because they knew they'd get attention for it. So it turned into this real boom on social media and it also let people find each other. It let people find online flat earth communities and those turned into real world flat earth communities. And, you know, for about five years, YouTube's algorithm did that before they changed it. And it had a very profound shaping effect on this movement.
0: So would you agree, Kelly, that uh, flat earth theory created a kind of um, mountain of uh, opportunities to make money? And if so, who are the some of the characters you write about in the book who are able to take advantage of these algorithmic uh, affordances?
1: Flat earth did allow people to make quite a lot of money. And it wasn't entirely flat earthers. I mean, some of the biggest names on YouTube, the, um, the Shane Dawson's and the Logan Paul's made videos dabbling in flat earth theory, never saying they agreed with it, but kind of exploring it. And, you know, just understanding, I think quite cannily that a video about flat earth is going to get a lot of views, but underneath them in this sort of pyramid scheme of internet uh, content, there are real conspiracy influencers who genuinely believe in their grift. And so there are um a lot of YouTubers who focus on flat Earth. They make their money via, you know, YouTube and Patreon, things like that. And there's, you know, there's a whole kind of ecosystem, an economy even around flat earth content. There are flat earth musicians, there are people selling flat earth books and merchandise, you know, t-shirts and hats and everything. And there are people who sell tickets to quite expensive Flat Earth conferences where you can expect to shell out, you know, $100, $200 just to go to one of these events and hear Flat Earth celebrities speak. So, yeah, people are profiting from this theory.
2: Kelly, you attended a few of these Flat Earth conferences, but one you didn't get to go to was the, the one in Australia. Uh, <laughs> could you tell us why that was cancelled and the story behind yes. on that? Yes.
1: <laughs> that – Flat Earth Conference was one of several incidents where, uh, Flat Earthers have been accused of burning down Masonic lodges. It, so basically, there was this effort to hold a Flat Earth Conference in Australia. I want to say maybe 2018. It, um, it completely just, uh, it, it went off the rails. There is an incredible quote from, I think it was an ABC journalist who is, Sort of embedded with him at the time, and it's like a it, it's a text message from two people trying to organize it, and they said Tigger's gone off the plot. He's burnt down a, a Masonic lodge, and so they couldn't hold the event because one of their organizers was in jail because he thought he was, uh, you know, fighting the uh, satanic underworld. So unfortunately, no, I could not go to that event because I think uh, the the main organizers were awaiting charges.
2: You, you also write in the book about, you mentioned earlier, the, the, the Australian, and there were a few Australians involved in that early Flat Earth uh, movement. Does not Australia create a little bit of a problem in the Flat Earth model, <laughs> being on the other side
1: of the planet? Australia is a huge problem in the Flat Earth model, and they're always trying to grapple with it in ways that are uh... – That distort logic a bit. You know, I was, um, at one flat earth conference and I was talking to this woman who's telling me you can't fly direct from the U S to Australia. And I have Australian family. So I do that, you know, semi regularly. And here I am and honestly, a couple beers and being like, no, I've done this flight. I've done it. You can do it. She's like, no, 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 no. The pilots are lying to you. You can't make that direct flight (laughs) because it doesn't really work on the flat earth map, I guess. But there are others, you know, one of the early. Leaders of the Flat Earth Society was an Australian woman who'd moved to the US and married an American Flat Earther. And part of the reason that they argued so militantly for Flat Earth is she said, if I lived on a globe, I would have been hanging upside down from my feet like a bat for the first 30 years of my life. And she signed affidavits in court, you know, asserting that she'd never hung upside down by her feet. <laughs> and that was, uh, that was good evidence in their book that somebody was lying about the shape of the earth.
2: I recently saw an Australian sovereign citizen, a quite influential one, making the point that uh, because you can see the moon during the daytime in Australia, that means that in nighttime on the other side of the world, supposedly, where they were also looking at the moon, uh, how could we both be looking at the moon at the same time? It seems like you know simple facts of uh, observation sort of escape these people.
1: Yeah, I saw something at a flat earth conference, and I wish I could explain the logical premise of it. But it was honestly so illogical, I didn't quite get it where somebody was like recording the sunset in California and was live chatting with someone in Australia trying to uh, see see what the sky looked like there. And Therefore, the sun couldn't actually be setting on a globe model. It didn't make any sense to me, but I'm sure in the minds of the people who recorded it, it was very powerful.
0: There's obviously lots of people doing uh, their own research on this question and many others. Maybe, Kelly could talk a little bit about what connects flat Earth theory to uh, the wider range of conspiracy theories that uh, listeners might be familiar with regarding uh, the COVID pandemic and uh, even QAnon.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with conspiracy theories in general, you know, it's important to note that this isn't just something that tinfoil hatters believe. It's a thought process that we're all susceptible to in varying degrees. And it happens when we feel like we don't have enough information about a situation or we don't like the information we have. We'll go looking for alternate explanations. And In moments of upheaval, like the COVID-19 pandemic, there is a lot of uncertainty and fear and lack of information. And so people do go looking for not just more information, but information that sounds right to them. So people who were previously maybe vaccine-averse go looking for COVID information that upholds their priors, things that tell them that COVID is fake or that the vaccines are, you know, a bioweapon uh, made for mind control. And you can see the same tendencies in political conspiracy theories like QAnon. Here in the U.S., QAnon believers don't want to believe that Trump lost the 2020 election. So they have this entire alternate universe in which he's won, he is fighting the uh, evil deep state, and everything will soon be overturned and you know, he'll be gloriously restored. So you can kind of see how these theories are weirdly comforting for the people who believe in them.
2: Kelly, could you speak a little bit about the influence that anti-Semitism has on Flat Earth and what sort of uh, examples of anti- anti-Semitism you witnessed attending these these events that you went to?
1: Absolutely. You know, it's weird because anti-Semitism doesn't need to be related to Flat Earth at all. It doesn't actually have anything to do with their um with their scriptures, so to speak. But I think a lot of conspiracy theories have anti-Semitic roots. And that's because, you know, conspiracy theories often work on a very us versus them basis. They divide the world basically into two teams. You know, you're either in on this conspiracy theory and an outside group is acting against you, or you're part of the malicious, um, outside group that's conspiring. And so that schema has been weaponized against minorities for centuries and centuries, and very often that is against Jewish minorities. So we've seen this structure of conspiracy theories often get designed around uh, demonizing Jews. And, you know, we have old, uh, conspiracy texts like uh, "Protocols of the Elders of Zion," which you know alleges this shadowy worldwide Jewish conspiracy theory, it's completely fake. But that conspiratorial DNA, I think, informs a lot of modern conspiracy theories. So when you have a newer conspiracy theory like flat Earth, I think it's quite easy for people to graft that onto older theories that you know share that anti-Semitic architecture. And I've seen both people who are um who were anti-Semitic before they were flat earthers who are smuggling those talking points into flat earth very consciously, but also people who are flat earthers who probably don't think of themselves as anti-Semites, but who end up parroting that language because it's so it's so enmeshed in the conspiracy world. And those are the com- the times that I will butt in and say, you know, hey, do you know exactly what you're talking about when you you know, you, you talk about the Khazar Cabal and that kind of thing. So it, it you run into anti-Semitism a lot more than you might think in the Flat Earth world.
2: Something I thought was sort of darkly comic in the book was when uh, the Daily Stormer, the neo-Nazi website posted a, something, having a go at Flat Earth, and was sort of taken aback by the comments which were sort of split down the middle with people saying, well, hang on, just study on. <laughs> uh are there attempts by the far right to recruit from within this milieu?
1: I think so. You know, Flat Earth, as you as you note with that Daily Stormer debacle, it's a little perplexing to them. And for folks who haven't read the book, basically Daily Stormer made this article making fun of Flat Earth and quite a lot of the readers were like, Hey, actually, there's some merit to this. And the Daily Stormer, which never apologizes for anything because it's just, you know, a Nazi rag, they kind of called a mea culpa and said, okay, whatever. We're just not going to talk about this anymore. So I think there are a number of people in the far right who understand that Flat Earthers minds are wide open, right? They've recently accepted this theory that calls on them to deny every truth that they previously knew. And when people do that, there's a vacuum of new ideas. There's uh, room to fill up their heads with whatever crazy stuff you want. And I've seen, you know, in that void, people start to introduce very anti-Semitic texts and flat-earth Facebook groups or um, smuggling those talking points into flat-earth videos. So I do think there is an awareness among far-right groups that some of these more fringe conspiracy theories are uh, possible recruiting pools.
2: In the course of writing the book, you've spoken to a few people that have left the flat earth movement.
1: Did you ever speak to
2: anyone who left it because there was a little note at the bottom of a YouTube video saying, actually, the earth is round?
1: <laughs> oh, man, I'd uh, I'd love to meet that person. I don't think a single person of that description exists. Um, <laughs> It's tough, right? Because we demand accountability of social media companies. And yet, so many of the things that they propose to help the spread of misinformation are, um, are pretty weak, you know? Um, and I think what I would say is like when I hammer on YouTube for helping the spread of flat earth, I'm not yelling at them because I think they have the power to completely banner flat earth videos and that they should be having little fact checks on every single one of them. I don't think that's feasible or helpful when it comes to the fact checks. But what I'm taking issue with is how the social media sites have had algorithms that artificially boosted conspiracy content because it was so much much more lucrative for them, frankly. Um, But no, I've yet to meet the person who deconverted after reading the Wikipedia fact check on the bottom of a YouTube video.
0: In terms of your own reportage, Kelly, I understand that uh, one of the reasons that morning may appear may have something to do with something that you wrote a couple of years ago about Flat Earth on YouTube, but you've also questioned the extent to which writing about this subject, um, whether yourself or others, actually feeds into this uh, kind of, you know, internet machine uh, that further perpetuates it. So can you just uh, reflect a little on what you think is a kind of an ethical approach for a journalist to take to this subject based on your own experience in writing about it as a journalist and through the process of writing this book.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's a tough line to walk as a journalist because conspiracy theories and extremist ideologies are not going to simply disappear if we ignore them. I know that's a popular view in some journalistic circles I strongly disagree with it, but there is also a danger of amplifying something that doesn't deserve it. I think what I would say is that when I'm trying to decide what I cover, be it conspiracy movements, be it far right, is that coverage helping readers understand a phenomena that is shaping the world today? Is it shedding light on that phenomena in a way that um, is going to help dismantle it, or is it just pointing out that it's sensational and funny and outrageous and? You know, it, it can be a tough line to walk with flat Earth. I do point out one article in my book that I wrote myself, and it was a uh, I when the U.S. announced that they were going to have a, a space force, a new armed forces branch for outer space. I was just looking for ways to make fun of it because it's just absolute pointless militarism <laughs> um, I called up the Flat Earth Society which doesn't believe in outer space I'm like hey folks can you weigh in on this and we had a it was a funny article but I don't think it needed to be written I think it was um, in hindsight a bit sensational and goofy but not in a in a productive way but I think that conspiracy theories in general do need to be scrutinized and what I was very grateful for in this book was the opportunity to, do it in length, and understand not just a theory, not just uh, raise awareness of the theory, but help explain why people arrive at these beliefs and why these beliefs are more pervasive than people might understand. And so, you know, I'm always receptive to criticism about it. I'm happy to keep having that conversation. But I think when we decide which topics to cover here, it's whether the coverage is going to enhance our understanding and help us dismantle these systems rather than just pointing and laughing.
2: In the book, you write about how uh, a lot of the speakers, the the vast majority of speakers at these Flat Earth conferences are men. Uh, Is that representative of the sort of makeup of the attendees of the conferences? Is this a, a male obsession?
1: It's not actually there are a lot of female attendees maybe slightly male skewed, but no the speaker breakdown which is overwhelmingly male is not representative of the movement and you know I think we might tie a little bit of that to it's a kind of inherently conservative movement we talked earlier about the biblical literalism of it all it's um you know it has kind of cultural conservative ties and you know I, I remember quite a couple times hearing, Misogyny voiced on stage. Someone in a unrelated, uh, tirade, you know, nothing to do with flat earth was up on stage at a flat earth conference talking about why, you know, women in the workplace are a sin. So, you know, you can see how a, an environment like that would sort of swat down women who get a little bit too prominent and, uh, female flat earthers have with, you know, with prominent YouTube channels have experienced harassment from their own movement. In ways that I don't think male flat earthers would and people ostensibly from their own side making fun of their appearances or making new conspiracy theories about them. And so I think, yeah, this isn't a movement that really enjoys seeing women thrive. Well,
2: one of those conspiracy theories they make about them is uh, this idea of the transvestigation that all sort of prominent uh, people anywhere, whether it's in you know, politics, the media, or even within the Flat Earth movement, are actually trans for various reasons, some involving Nephilim, which I guess would make <laughs> the majority of speakers of these things are actually women.
1: Yeah. You know, it's funny. It's um, When they make these allegations about everyone famous is trans, it's like, okay, well, we still have gender parity, right? So, I mean, <laughs> what's, what's the big deal? All the men are women. All the women are men. Fine. <laughs>
2: Could you tell us a little bit about Natural News, which you go into in the book? And uh, this is a website that has been around for a while and has certainly been making waves of late.
1: Sure. Natural News is sort of the uh, the granola counterpart to Infowars. This is a long, long-running conspiracy site, conspiracy network, really, number of websites that, you know, on their face claim to talk about, Health news and kind of organic food products, that sort of thing. And yeah, if you do any clicking around in them these days, they are just wildly uh, anti-left and talking about how the communists are coming here to you know shoot you in the face because you didn't let your uh, your child be trans. No, it's the other way around. It's it's completely unintelligible. I'm not even going to try and parody it. But basically, this site has been a huge hub for anti vaccine information for years and years. And they were really ahead of the curve in that respect. This was pre COVID stuff. And there were a couple studies showing um, up until around 2019, this was one of the biggest exporters of anti vax sentiment. It's a US based site, but it was a huge hub for anti vax information in Brazil. And although It doesn't have quite the reach it had in the past, partly because I wrote an article about them and Facebook removed their um, the Natural News's Facebook page. I think it really laid the groundwork for a lot of the health misinformation that's proliferating today.
2: I was curious about your observations of the sort of modern anti-vax movement that has sprung up in response to COVID. Something I'd sort of thought was going to happen when. Covid came along, and all of these people got into anti-vax for sort of maybe more spurious reasons than the already spurious uh, reasoning of the existing anti-vax movement. I thought that you know we had this anti-vax establishment that would look at these newcomers talking about microchips and Bill Gates and the Mark of the Beast and say, "Well, you know, you guys aren't serious. We're we're talking about autism, and uh, <laughs> you know, we, we have this. We have a study. We have a doctor." Uh, but what I've seen is those that old guard just going completely off the rails, <laughs> getting on board with all of it. Uh, I saw Meryl Dory, who's a very prominent Australian anti-vaxxer for some years, talking the other day about how the government had blasted them with uh, sound weapons and given them radiation poisoning when, in fact, she just had COVID. Obviously, is that something that you've been seeing in the states with the anti-vaxx movement?
1: Absolutely. You know, it did used to have a bit more of a scientific veneer. They would have. Uh, well, discredited doctors, but doctors nonetheless coming out and making more medical sounding arguments about vaccines. And these days, I think partly because their arguments keep getting swatted down, you know, um, anti-vaxxers would say things like, know, oh, everyone who takes this vaccine is going to be dead in six months. Well, that timeline has come and passed. So I think a lot of the anti-vax energy has gone kind of abstract. There definitely are the weird microchip people, but there is just a lot of weird philosophical rhetoric around it these days in the US. People talking about their freedoms and what is incredibly ironic here is we've never had any kind of lockdown uh you know, on power of Australia or anything like that. There's no vaccine mandates and yet we still have these cross country convoys driving you know thousands of miles to protest vaccine mandates that don't exist at all so it's really become very illegible as a movement and really incoherent and yet there is this just seething anti-vax animus that you know is is the excuse for this uh more uh abstracted anger but
0: during the course of the week kelly i had an opportunity to uh Look at some of the sites, the websites you um, reference in your book, including Natural News, but you're a non, uh, wire and, and various other sites. And one thing I noticed is that, in addition to uh, promoting anti vaccination sentiment and various conspiracy theories around it, is following the Russian invasion of Ukraine, they seem to have made a, um, a tilt towards promoting. Uh, Putin and speculating about the existence of biolabs uh, in Ukraine and, and so on and so forth. And I'm wondering they do uh, obviously depend upon advertising revenue and, and generating outrage and, and clicks and so on. I'm wondering if in terms of flat Earth in particular, but conspiracy theories more generally, and in light of the, the I guess the twenty sixteen election um, what you've discovered about the influence of state actors like uh, Russia or China or uh, America and, and so on on the conspiracy world, are, are they uh, promoting these sorts of ideas? What, whats is, is there state evidence of government or state involvement? Is there some kind of, you know, have you discovered a conspiracy involving you know, <laughs> various state actors manip- manipulating public opinion or, or what's going on?
1: So there are a couple documented instances of state actors and others where you can kind of look at someone on Twitter and be like, "Mm, I don't know about you, buddy. You know, I would say that most conspiracy momentum seems to be pretty organic. People don't need to be on the Putin payroll to say just absolutely unhinged things on Telegram. People will do that for free. But, you know, there have been documented instances. There was a a case of russian troll farms in i want to say 2018 had this twitter campaign um, it was vaccinate us vaccinate us and it was pushing vaccine misinformation very specifically at the us and again you have to wonder how how powerful that was in sort of setting a temperature a couple years ahead of what nobody could have known but you know was a global pandemic and you know there are other things that make you say, hmm, you know, things that I won't fully allege because I frankly don't uh, care to be sued. But, you know, there are ostensibly U.S.-based alternative news networks that all promote each other and cross-post from each other in a way that is very interesting and they will routinely run with very Kremlin-friendly talking points. You know, previously it was... Denigrating Syrian white helmets, um, or casting doubt on chemical attacks in Syria. And these days they are pivoting to Russian apologism in Ukraine. So it's interesting to say the least. You know, people have speculated certain elements of these sites payrolls. And I frankly don't have the documents on them, but you can definitely see how either paid or not, there is a, um, there is an alternate news network that understands that it, it's in some way beneficial for them to promote these Russian state talking points.
0: Oh, we're going to get tankies adding us now. <laughs> <laughs> when, when talking, I guess I'm thinking about uh, US politics in particular and uh, the Republican Party and I suppose I'm... I'm i, I You know, ask about these kind of fringe actors and possible influence by uh, malicious foreign state actors. But the other remarkable thing, I suppose, as you refer to in the book, is the ways in which a figure like Trump or the right wing of the Republican Party can um, suddenly um, catapult uh, marginal ideas or claims from the very fringes of the internet into the mainstream of U.S. society. So I'm wondering if you could comment a little bit about what's been going on in um, very mainstream US politics over the course of the last few years and how that has encouraged and to what extent it's supported by this kind of um, proliferation of conspiracy theories.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I really try and center in the book because as much as I can point to social media or as much as we can talk about state actors outside the US, you know, there is something to be said for One of the loudest conspiracy voices right now is Donald Trump and the party apparatus around him is the, you know, this media apparatus around him. And I think it's very difficult to disentangle that conspiracy narrative from, from the discourse when it's really becoming a party platform here in the US. It's becoming very politically unviable for mainstream Republicans to admit that Trump lost the 2020 election. So, you know, when we talk about solutions, be it YouTube changing its algorithm or uh, spotting state actors, uh, you know, manipulating Twitter discussions, I think it's a lot more uh, salient for us to look at the role that the Republican Party is playing in promoting these conspiracy theories, because it's, um, it's taking things that, you know, a few years ago were fringe 4chan discussions, and it's making them very, very central to this, um, this party movement and this party's identity. So that's one thing that I would underscore when people ask, you know, how can we, how can we program our way out of this? It's, you know, one party actually has to take, uh, take some meaningful political action and, I think that's difficult for people to wrap their heads around is that this is um, this is a, a problem that we really have to accept as mainstream now. And, um, yeah, we need to decouple the conspiracy DNA from the Republican Party at this point. Well, Kelly,
2: thank you so much for joining us. The book is called Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture and Why People Will Believe Anything. And people can find Kelly at Kelly Weil on Twitter. Thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
2: Well, Andy, that's all we've got time for. Is that really over, Cam? Indeed. <laughs> Global Indifada is up next. We will catch you next week. See you then. Hey, something in the back room. Hope it's not that creature's
1: from...
0: A skeptic, yes, you know me
2: Been best friend and will be till we die